topic. It's a minor topic, not anything, just some kind of light. Topic is, is God real? Just kidding, that's not a minor topic, obviously. It's, it's a pretty big topic. I'm just kidding. That was a joke, guys. Lighten up, lighten up. The topic is, is God real? That's the topic. Why did I pick this topic? Good question. Um, glad you guys asked. Pretty much, uh, last time, Beanie taught about the basics, right? And I was like, what a great way to start the year. Like, um, that's, a, that's a good idea. And so I was like, I want to continue on this, like, it's not related to his lesson, but obviously, but it's in a similar vein of these are very basic questions that people who aren't Christians would ask, right? For us growing up in the church, these are kind of like assumptions that we make. We live with this because our parents assume this, and so we naturally assume this too. And so it's, it's not intuitive to question these things like God's existence, right? Um, so today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to question God's existence. Not really, though, <laughs> okay? Um, because this isn't like, I'm not giving you guys any formal training in like Christian apologetics. That's like defending the faith. That's, that, that's what that means, Christian apologetics. Um, and that's not the point of this. The point of this is like, so you can just have familiarity with some of the common arguments that people make for the existence of God in the absence of the Bible. Okay? Because obviously, if you're talking to someone who doesn't believe in the Bible, like Bing was talking about how we know the, why we believe the Bible to be, you know, holy and uh, inerrant and all that stuff. Um, but people who aren't Christians don't assume those things. They don't believe those things. So it's important that we have a way to uh, rationalize God's existence without having to draw from the Bible verses, right? Um, so that's the reason why I've picked this lesson. Um, so let's get into it. Um, there are three basic arguments that people use for the existence of God. I'm going to go through them one by one. The first one, I think, is the most compelling argument. And it is the most uh, simple in the sense that like, it, it isn't, it's, it's more foundational. Okay? And... None of these arguments can be used to argue for the existence of the Christian God, specifically. It's just for the existence of God, okay? Um, and first off, we should probably define what God means, right? Um, so, how would you guys define God? Supreme. Supreme. Okay. Great. One who's almighty and powerful. Yeah. Almighty, right? Omnipotent. It's, another, it's a fancy word that they use in philosophy. Omnipotence. Creative. The version of omnipotence. But to be creator, you have to, to create something, you have to understand it fully. So we can also say omniscient, all knowing. Mm-hmm. Right? Omniscient, omnipotence. Right? There's another omni. There's another omni. <laughs> <laughs> Omnipresent. Yeah. Right? Everywhere. So uh, those are the three basic ways people define it. Also, there's one om- omnibenevolent, so all good. Mm-hmm. Um, that one kind of relates to the last argument I'm going to be talking about. Um, but this first one relates to omnipotent. Um, so God's uh, an essential part of being God. If this doesn't have this, then it's not God. Is all powerful. Everything's in His hands. He has control over everything, right? Or He is the source of all things. Nothing can work without Him. Nothing happens happens without Him. Um, so the first one kind of relates to that, and it's called the cosmological argument. Is what it is. Okay, and there are several cosmological-like arguments. This is one of the most uh, common ones, and one of the most effective ones. It's specifically called 
A kalam, cosmological argument. Kalam is an Arabic word to mean eternal or eternity. Um, I looked that up. I didn't know that. Uh, but cosmological. So what is cosmology? Cosmology is the study of the cosmos. Okay? Space. Things like that. It's not as... It's more philosophical and metaphysical. Meaning it's not... It's not like... It involves math. It involves like, you know, evidence and physical things as well. But it's, it's more philosophy in the sense that it's talking about things that we can't directly measure. It's, not, it's talking about things that we can't directly... Um, like, example, it's not like looking at Mars and then saying, okay, so it looks red, and we know that the color of red is like iron, so there must be a lot of iron in Mars. It's not like that. It's more theoretical. Um, and deals with a lot of like cause and effect, things like that. So this Kalam cosmological argument, what is it? The claim of the Kalam argument is intuitive, but it's massive in scale. Okay, so, so it, it deals with cause and effect. Is everyone with me so far? Yeah. Like, I haven't said anything crazy. If you have any questions, please ask. I'm just going to take it. That's like Okay, cool. The claim of the Kalam argument is intuitive, but it's massive in scale, okay? Um, and essentially, it's that any effect is preceded by a cause. That's the, that's the first claim. Any effect requires a preceding cause. And if that cause is in itself an effect, it must have its own preceding cause, and so on. And the second one is, infinity doesn't actually exist in the spatial-temporal reality. And that's a big word, spatial, space, temporal time, space-time. Have you guys heard of the space-time continuum? Yeah. Right, so space is the three directions, 3D, up, up and down, left and right, in and out. That's how we exist. And then time, it's the fourth dimension, right? So everything exists in time, Things, because things change, right? Yeah. Nothing can stay exactly the same forever mm-hmm. because then it wouldn't be affected by time and everything inside the spatial, re- temporal reality is affected by time, it's affected by space. Everything is 3D, okay? Make sense so far? So that second one was, infinity does not actually exist in spatial, temporal reality. Therefore, it, there must be at the end of any amount of causes you want to put up in order, there must be a first uncaused cause. All right? Does that make sense? If it doesn't make sense, ask. Because it's just going to get more complicated from here. (laughs) Okay? Does that make sense, everyone? Okay. All right. So, the first thing is, the first, these kind of arguments are usually like make several, they make like two or three claims and they end it off with like a conclusion. So, the first claim is this. Any effect must be preceded by a cause. Right? If that door opens, it must be a reason why something must cause it to open. Someone's walking in, the wind blew, the AC kicked in, right? Something. Maybe the door is like unstable, so it just opens on its own, but that's the reason why, because of the unstable hinge. Make sense? Nothing happens for no reason. Nothing happens just on its own, right? We see this just naturally, intuitively in life. Things happen because of a cause. If there's an effect, there must be a cause. Um, So any effect requires a preceding cause. And if that effect is in it, is that cause in itself is an effect, then it must have its own preceding cause, and so on. Okay? So, for example, that door opens on its own. Maybe it was because the AC kicked in, right? Why did the AC kick in? Because it was too hot in here. Make sense? Like, there's always a reason why behind the reason why, behind the reason why, behind the reason why. Does that make sense? Okay. Knowing that, we can go on to this to infinity. So the problem is, the second claim is this, infinity does not actually exist in the spatial temporal reality. 
Infinity does not actually exist. Okay, that's the second claim. And I'm going to explain this later whenever I talk about counter-arguments. Um, therefore, if every effect must have a preceding cause, and infinity does not exist, that leaves us with one conclusion. There must be a primary uncaused cause. Something that does not need anything to sustain it, nothing that needs anything to cause it to happen, it just it exists to cause. That's all, it, is, it is cause itself. I know I'm using the word cause a lot, so it may not sound like a word at the end of this. <laughs> but, and then in theism, we define that uncaused cause as God, the almighty power. Okay? Nothing sustains it, it sustains things. Make sense? So the Kalam cosmological argument is very simple. It's a simple exercise in logic. Okay? Cool. That makes sense, everyone. That is the first argument. Awesome. It's going to get a little more complicated. <laughs> uh, I'm not done with this one because I like this one a lot, so I, I go into it a little bit more than I do the, first, the next two. Um, so this, this, next, let's, next, let's talk about some counter, common counters to the Kalam cosmological argument. All right? So something that someone can often say is, all right, so you say that every effect must have a preceding cause. Makes sense. I believe you. I see that every day. But I don't agree with you that infinity does not actually exist. They don't agree. Okay? Um, so what if it's possible that there is actually an infinite series of causes? Why can't that be true? You know? A cause, a cause, that's caused by a cause, that's caused by another cause, it just goes on forever. Alright? Why can't that be the case? Why does it have to be some out-of-this-reality being that every, something ends at? Why does there have to be an end? Is the question. Is the, is the a one common counter to the Kalam argument. Um, people, can, this can relate to like some actual theories in science. People talk about like some kind of like uh, an internal universe is like, but an universe that expands, like there's a big bang theory, right? That like everything came from one singular point of like infinite mass, infinite space, all that, like really small, right? And then exploded out and we have everything we have now. Um, and people say, what, what if it just, it's expanding, right? But like that infinite point was actually like the end of another universe, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on. It's complicated, and it's complex, but it's an alternative explanation as to why we have things, right, in this, in this world. Um, so why can't that be true? Why can't we have just an infinite series of causes, rather than having a single first uncaused cause? Another one is, what if the universe itself is eternal? What if the universe itself is uncaused? Right? So why can't that be the case? And so let's talk about it. All right? These are good questions people have and people uh, use to challenge the, the argument. So I'm going to start with the second objection because it's easier to deal with. So why can't the universe itself be eternal? First of all, there is the fact that the universe is expanding. We know this, right? They measure this red light shifting, right? So basically it means that this is going to get a little physical, but I'm going to see if it, if it makes sense. You guys know whenever a car a police car is speeding towards you, it gets higher in pitch. Right? It's a Doppler effect. It gets higher in pitch. Why? Because it's coming to you fast, and the sound waves are kind of bunching up. Because every time it releases more sound, the sound wave moves like this, right? It's a little bit closer, so now the sound waves are kind of bunching up, so it sounds higher intensity. It makes sense? Because it's kind of like doubling on itself. But then whenever it's leaving you, it lowers in pitch. Because now the wavelengths are lo- like, they appear longer to you because it's taking longer to get to your ear. Similar kind of thing applies when it comes to whenever you look out into the universe. 
Light takes time to travel, okay? And when the universe exploded outwards, right, uh, we know the universe is expanding because whenever we look at using these giant telescopes, we can see that like, there's like this red shift, like this red light that we see. And so red light's the longest wavelength, so it's taking longer to get to us. Basically, like, the further you look out, the longer it's taking to get to us because the universe is expanding. That makes sense. That's a very rough explanation. I don't fully understand it myself. I'm not going to lie to you guys. But it is, there's empirical evidence the universe is expanding. And it's expanding at, infinitely faster, at a faster and faster rate. So the universe is not only expanding, it's accelerating in how it's expanding. Cool. That's a fact. How does that relate to why the universe can't be eternal? By the way, any questions so far? Nope. No questions? Nope. Why would someone have questions? Uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. <laughs> okay. So space-time. Not just space is expanding. Time itself is expanding on the edges of... Because of space-time. The space-time continuum. So everything... It makes... I know. Don't think about it too hard. Don't think about it too hard. <laughs> but that's how it works, okay? Everything is expanding. Um, so if you run this backwards... You can, it shows that the universe was once a point, like I was talking about the singularity, right, of infinite mass, temperature, pressure, is just like a single point that's infinitely small, but extremely hot, as hot as possible, and extremely dense. So the pressure in there is crazy. Because uh, it contains everything that's ever existed in that one little point. So that shows that point must have started somewhere, because it, that, that, there's a point, and then it started expanding. So the universe being eternal... What does eternity mean? Unchanging. The universe is changing. So that kind of gives evidence against the fact that the universe must be eternal. If it's changing currently, right now. Right? Second thing is, I don't know if you guys have heard of the second law of thermodynamics. But the second law of thermodynamics is pretty much, it uses this concept called entropy. Entropy is very, you've heard of entropy. Does anyone understand entropy? Bon. Okay, so entropy, the way I think about it, and it's basically, entropy is a, is a, it is a measure of, it is a measure of how disorganized something is. That make sense? So how, it's also a measure of like information, because information is related to how disorganized something is. That makes sense. It doesn't make, it's information theory, I also don't fully get that, but point is, entropy is like, a rough way to explain it is like, it's a, it's a measure of how of disorganized something is. And everything wants to be in a state of ultimate disorganization. Why? Because that's equilibrium. Does that make sense? Things don't like to be structured. Things prefer to be homogeneous. Things prefer to be... Things prefer to be in a, complete, a state of complete, and like, at the lowest energy state possible. That makes sense? Lowest energy state possible is, is where things want to be. Just naturally. Um, so the second law of thermodynamics says that entropy in the universe, universe is, it's, it's always expanding. The universe is a closed system and the entropy of the universe is always increasing, not expanding, always increasing. Okay? Does that make sense? So everything is headed towards a point of equilibrium and where there is like just complete, like there's no energy, there's no movement, it's just rest. Right? So Yes, everything is. Things tend to decay. Oh, so they're going to... A state of higher and higher entropy. Right? Does that make sense? Are you guys with me? How long is it going to take? This? Don't worry. We're get, this, is the, I'm talking, this is the hard part. Oh, in total, how long is it going to take? I don't know. A really long time. We'll be gone. Like the, unit, the human race will probably be gone by then. We'll either kind of kill ourselves or something's going to happen. So entropy is... <laughs> what? So 
Does that make sense? There are more states. Mm-hmm. Like, if there are two pieces, if I have all of us in this room, for example, all of us in this room, we're all sitting in the room in the chair. Like, this is one configuration. This is one state of the room, right? If this is a closed system, no one can enter or leave. We're all like little molecules, okay? No one can enter or leave, right? This is one state. But also, if me and Lala switch seats, that's another possible state that the, that the, that the, that the system can be in. Or... No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm explaining. I'm explaining. I'm explaining how entropy works. It's what, when we were talking about, it's a measure of randomness. So if me and her switch seats, that's one possible state. If we switch seats, it's one possible state. If we switch seats, there, there's lots of combinations that we can do. We can do the math, and I mean in the thousands probably, right, or in the millions of how many different ways we can sit in this room in these different seats, right? So that those are all the different possible states, which means there are more randomness, the more pieces that are involved. Right? But imagine, this is kind of gruesome, if <laughs> I cut us all in half, right? Physically, we all get cut in half. Now there are double the amount of pieces in this room, but we're all less usable now. Does that make sense? We're all less usable. So entropy has increased, but usability, the usable energy in the system, has decreased. Does that make sense to you guys? No, entropy is a measure of randomness, disorganization. I know, I got you, I got you. Does this make more sense now? Yeah, it makes sense. I got it. Okay. Don't quote me to your teachers. Whenever you guys learn about this in class, about entropy in your physics class or your chemistry class, pretend everything, pretend everything I told you disappears from your mind. Try to learn it fresh. Because I'm not totally sure. I'm right, but like, I'm not totally sure. Like, I'm right. I know how to use entropy because I've used it a lot before, but my theoretical grasp of it is not on par of being able to teach it confidently, if I'm being honest with you guys, okay? But what I'm saying is correct. This, this is what I'm telling you is true, okay? All right, so second law, of int- second law of thermodynamics tells us that entropy of the universe is always increasing because the universe is a closed system, okay? So what does that mean? The en- universe is headed towards a state of complete disarray. So at some point, all pre- processes that are happening in the universe, stars exploding, right? Um, stars forming, galaxies, the solar system, how all- these are like ordered systems, right? They have, they have a certain state that they're in and it's, and it's, and it's contained, right? All of that, at some point, those processes will reach a point where they're at equilibrium. And the equilibrium is called, it's called the heat death, is what they call it. The heat death? They call it heat death. Oh. That point, that point yeah. when we're reached like maximum entropy, yeah. right, in the lowest energy state possible. Okay. So all of this is to say, right, when we were talking about the fact that the universe is expanding, right, the fact that the universe is headed towards heat death because of increasing entropy, and how all processes will eventually reach a point of equilibrium. This shows us that the universe is in a process of change. Okay? And intuitively it makes sense that things that change have a beginning. And therefore cannot be eternal. So, and logically this makes sense too, as we were just talking earlier. Um, so if you think about it, if the universe was... And here's another point. right? Here's another little logic exercise we can go through. If the universe was eternal, what does that mean? It means that the past is eternal. Right? Because the universe has always been here. Time is a part of the universe. Time must be eternal. So the past is eternal. So what does that mean? So if the universe is eternal, and everything in the past is eternal, then that means the past will take forever to reach to the present. 
Now, this is kind of, this, this might hurt your head a little bit. It hurt my head when I first thought about it, too. But you can, this is the way I think about it. If you're a runner and you have a 100-meter dash to run, before you can reach that finish line, you have to reach the halfway point. Before you can reach the halfway point, you've got to reach the one-fourth point. Before you can reach the one-fourth point, you've got to reach the one-eighth point, all that stuff, right? And if you keep going, keep going like that, and you keep saying, okay, I have to reach it before I can reach it, I have to reach it before, you can, do that, you can do that process infinitely. And that can lead you to conclude, basically, if that was the case, the person can never start moving. What? Does that make sense? <laughs> it doesn't make sense because it's not true. Okay, it's not true. So if the universe was eternal, then the past is eternal. And if the past is eternal, that means there, there's an infinite amount of time points between now and whenever. Not whenever. It just keeps on going forever. So how can we ever reach now if the past is forever? There is no now. So it is there at some point. There has to be a point. There has to be a beginning. Does that make sense? Because if the past was eternal, you can never reach the present. Because there's every... Is that, it's kind of like... But if the past... Think about it. If you can't... If there's no reference point for the past, and it just goes on forever, then the past is forever. How can we ever reach now? It's not the past. It's still, it's still, ha- it's still happening. We're never going to reach right now. But we are right now. So intuitively, we're like, okay, well, the past must not be forever. Um, so that's the second point. We're talking about this. So the universe, after looking at it like this, probably isn't eternal. Most likely isn't eternal. <laughs> um, these are arguments, so we qualify everything. Um, second thing. Let's go back. Now we'll go back to the first objection that they raised. And this one, I'm sorry, guys, this is actually more complicated. <laughs> More complicated, not scientifically, logically. Logically, it's more complicated. So, second, does anyone remember what the first objection was? The infinite series of causes, right? Yeah. Okay. So what if there's an infinite series of causes? Here's why that cannot be true. All right. I'm going to try to sum it up in the beginning in a, fir- in, a first, in, a, in a sentence. But in a sentence, an infinite series of causes is extremely unlikely because the implications of an actual infinite existing is logically absurd. Okay. An infinite series of causes is unlikely because it's implicate because it's hold on, how do I write this? Because it is aha, okay. Because the implications of an actual infinite existing, an actual infinite is logically absurd. <laughs> Let me explain to you why it's more of an argument. It is an, all arguments are opinions, but their opinions backed up with reason and evidence. Okay. Anyway. So to explain this, keep that in mind. To explain this, I have to define to you now two types of infinite. I know, mind blowing. There are two types of infinite. Yeah, there is. There is the actual infinite, which is what we're talking about. The actual infinite. And then there is the potential infinite. And this is actually a math thing, um, which I hate. <laughs> but I'm going to try to explain this to you guys. First, let's define the actual infinite, because it kind of makes more sense to me. Actual infinite is very simple. You just got to believe it. <laughs> okay, this is the actual infinite. Anyone know what a natural number is? Yes. Yes. Someone tell me what a natural number is. It's all real numbers. Mm, that's real numbers. Close, though. It's a subset. <laughs> It's a subset. That actually works. That's an actual infinite right there. All real numbers is an actual infinite. Yes, the answer. Yeah. 
Right, it's like any number. That's not negative. It's it's the numbers. What are they? Um, it's the it's the whole numbers minus zero, like not including zero, one and on. Right, those are the natural numbers. One, two, three, four, five, six, all to infinity. So those are the natural numbers. Okay. Not zero. Not zero. That would I mean whole numbers. And we learn this in math class. It's simple, right? Natural numbers. It's just a label. But that is an example of an actual infinite. Okay, because natural numbers, it's a, it's a defined concept. There's a definition to it. You can't add on to it. You can't take away from it. It's just, it's a defined closed, closed uh, definition. It, it's natural numbers, we, we have a definition for it. It's one all the way to infinity. That's what it is. So it's an actual infinite. And it's only used in math. Okay, it's only used in math. You can't find an actual infinite sitting in the forest. Okay, and you can't find the natural number sitting in the forest. So you, I mean, I mean, like an actual infinite. It's it's a concept that we use in math. A potential infinite is something else, also used in math, but using these kind of arguments too. So, an, a potential infinite isn't really infinite. It's actually finite, which makes no sense at all because it's called a potential infinite. Like infinite's in the name, but it's actually finite. So it does have an end because it doesn't have an end. But it's the reason why it's potential and not actual is because it's never complete. You can always add on to it. If that makes sense. Let me define to you now what, a, let me show you an example of a potential infinite. Okay. Um, a potential infinite is all real, num all real numbers between one and zero. Does that make sense? So the reason why is because Oh you can always get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. My bad. Actually, all real numbers is not an infinite. It's not an actual infinite. I'm wrong about that. Natural numbers are, because they're, they're a discrete amount, as an infinite amount of discrete units. Because you can't have 1.1. 1.1 is not a number in natural numbers. You see what I'm saying? It's only 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, all the way to infinity. So there are discrete units to infinity. And it's closed. Like, that's all that it can be, and it's complete. But if you can always get smaller, then you can always get bigger. Right. <laughs> so the point is, in a potential infinite, you can always add on to it. Why can't you add on to it? One, two, three, all the way to infinity. Because I already defined everything. It's one to infinity. Can you add on? Add on, add on, add on, add on another number. Can you do it? Infinity. You can't do that with the You can do it with the other thing, too. Which one? The one to zero to one. Or yeah, exactly. You can. That's the problem. Wait, no. What do you mean? What do you mean you can't? There's no infinity. The, the, no, there is. It's, it's not. Infinity isn't a number in there. It's the numbers between. I'm, I'm diff, so it's a potential infinite because it's the numbers between 1, between 0 and 1, right? All the real numbers in that point. So it can be 1.1. I mean, it can be, it can be 0 0.1. 0 0.0001. 0 0.0000001. Right? So. You can tell me, you can write out a list as much as you want of all the numbers. And I can look at your list. It can be pages long, it can be years to write. It can be a thousand pages long. I can add on another number. I'm like, wait, there's another one. You see what I'm saying? So it's potentially infinite, but we have to keep on adding to it. Okay. Does that make sense? But in the actual infinite, for like the natural numbers, it's a definition. You can't put 1.1 in there. And you can't add on anything other to it because the natural numbers are defined as 1 to infinity. You can't name another number that's supposed to be in there. It's complete and it's infinite. Therefore, it is an actual infinite. 
A potential infinite is incomplete. It's always in the process of being added on. That's why it's actually finite. Because once you stop adding onto it, it becomes finite. It becomes a real thing. You can actually count how many there are. So it has to keep on going. You have to keep adding to it. Once you stop and you say, okay, these are all the... You can. Because now it's finite. It's no longer infinite. That's why it's called a potential infinite. It's actually finite. Does that make sense? Okay. There's another one. Uh, The distance example that I gave you, the 100 meter dash, that's actually a, a potential infinite. It's actually finite. Because like you said, wait, it's not possible. You can actually run it. Yes, you can actually run it because it's actually finite. But I could, I could show you how it could potentially be infinite. Just keep cutting it in half, right? I mean, physically, you would get stopped by like, you know, like the atoms and stuff. But we're talking about a theoretical road. You can keep cutting it down. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay, so. Exactly. That's a, that's a, you understand, this is, a, this is pe- I'm talking about why this isn't true. The, what I'm trying to tell you now is, the first objection is that, okay, there's an infinite series of causes. Yeah. I'm telling you now, that's not possible because, or extremely unlikely, because the implications of a lot of an actual infinite existing in spatial temporal world, in reality, is logically absurd. Okay? And I started off by defining to you there's a difference between an actual infinite, like the natural numbers, and a potential infinite, like all the real numbers between 1 and 0. Okay? That's the first thing. I'm just setting it up. Now I'm going to give you examples that show why an actual infinite existing in spatial-temporal world is logically absurd. I'm going to give you two examples. The first one is called Hilbert's Hotel. Has anyone heard of Hilbert's Hotel? You have heard of it? It's pretty cool. It's... You may, you may be thinking about it. Let me just explain it. Uh, basically, it's... Hilbert's Hotel is... Imagine... There's a guy named Hilbert. He has a hotel. <laughs> no way. This hotel... This hotel... What? This hotel has an infinite number of rooms. Oh, my goodness. Okay? An infinite number of rooms. Revenue. Hmm? Revenue. Exactly. Um, an infinite number of rooms. Okay. One day, um, an infinite number of guests... Show up. If a number of guests show up. Okay? His hotel is filled up. He's happy. Business is booming. All right? Business is booming. The next day, someone else comes along. They're like, hey, uh, I would like a room. His hotel is full. He says, no problem. (laughs) Why does Hilbert say no problem? I'll just add you in. Because this is what he does. This is his solution. If you're just thinking about it, okay, so he has to find a room that's empty. You go, you take this person to room one, full. Room two, all the way to infinity. All the rooms are filled because it's an infinite hotel and infinite people showed up. So how do you get this person in a room? Simple. You go to the person in the first room and you say, hey, I'm sorry, we got a new person. Do you mind moving to room two? They're like, oh, no problem. And you tell the person in room two, hey, we got a person. Do you mind moving to room three? So you keep moving everyone down for infinity until the first room is free. And it will be free. So you just put that person in the first room and you're good. Now, the hotel's oh, full again, uh, and you've added an extra person. So there's okay. no last person. There is no last person, because it's infinite. It's infinite. You see what I'm saying? You just keep going through. You keep going through. Or you can You can't reach it. You can't reach it. So which, what, what, what room is it? What room is the most infinite room? That's why you have to put them in room one. Because you have to move... I mean, if you wanted to, you could put them in room three and tell everyone from room three onwards to go down. You could do that too. 
But you need to pick an actual physical room because it's an actual physical person. Make sense? It's so rich. Hilbert. so rich. He's rich. That makes sense? So now, somehow, you were at infinity. You were at infinity. You were at infinity, right? You had infinite amount of rooms, and you added infinite amount of people, so now your hotel is completely full, but somehow you managed to add an extra person, which makes no sense. But there's more. Imagine you're back to the example before the one person shows up. You're at your capacity, infinite capacity. You're happy. Hilbert's happy. And you look out the window one day, and you see an infinite amount of people have shown up again. I'm like, what do I want to do, right? <laughs> I want this business. I want this business, but I can't do it because all my rooms are filled up. So you think to yourself, hmm, how do I do this? I can't move down one person from one room to because then that's, like, that's only one room free. Yeah. You know what I mean? So what do I do? Tell them to like, get roommates? I don't know. And you realize, ah, I'm going to tell everyone in, in uh, what is it? Everyone in room, everyone in all the, everyone in room, I think, two, the person in room two to move to room four, the person in room four, hold on. Ah, no, the person in room two to move to room four, the person in room four to move to room, to room uh, eight, person in room eight to move to room 16. You keep telling me to move to that room, right? So now you've opened up an infinite amount of rooms again <laughs> because you can keep multiplying by two forever. You see what I'm saying? Now you have infinite space available, right? So you've, you've gone from infinite capacity, infinite full capacity to infinite capacity once more. You're happy. You tell the people to come back in. So all the people waiting outside, I've got room for you. Infinite people come back in, and now you're full again. Okay? But now you have somehow double the amount of people. Bro, what? Okay? Is there a movie? Yeah. I would like to watch it. I would love to watch it, bro. Here's another thing. Here's another thing. Here's another thing. Okay. Now people are... People are... Leaving the hotel, all right? Whatever event was in town, it's over, and then people were leaving the hotel. So, and this happens twice. In the first instance, person four, five, six, all these infinity, they leave. So what does that leave you with? Three guests that were just staying extra. Staying for the weekend, right? Spend time with the family, whatever. So now you have three guests in your hotel, right? In the second instance, imagine this. Persons one, so how many, how many people left? How many people left? Infinity. Infinity amount of people left, right? Minus three. Nah, infinity. You can't minus infinity. It's infinity. Minus infinity. Oh. Okay, minus three from infinity. What do you get? Infinity. Infinity minus three. So, in the next instance, in the next instance, in the next instance, persons one, three, five, and then from five, six, seven, eight, all into infinity leave. Okay? Okay, so there's only two. So who's left? Two, two people left, right? Room. Persons two and four. Yeah, two and four. So how many, how many people left? Infinity. Infinity. No. Huh? So in the first instance, so which, in which instance did more people leave from? Uh, the first one. No, no. it's the same thing. It's the same. <laughs> but, but, but hold on, hold on. I have three guests in the first instance and I have two guests left in the second instance. Where'd the extra person go? To infinity. infinity. <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting to make them. He made us have a yeah, in the first one, three people left. In the second one, two people left. Okay. I thought everybody left except those two people. Yeah, exactly. Two people left. Oh, it's two people are left. My bad. Two people are left. Are left. Two people are left. They're left in the hotel. Oh, Everyone else left. departed. Got to use it more now. So in the first instance, three people stayed, and three people left. Oh. Right? Because everyone from everyone from uh, number... everyone from number. Uh, sorry, yeah, everyone from number. 
Yeah, everyone, for, you can say like, persons one, two, and three stay, and then persons four onwards left. So, infinity people left, and you have three guests left. In the second instance, uh, one, three, and five, and then from five, six, seven, eight, all the way to forever, leave, and so now you're left with guests two and four. So, in the first instance, how many people left? Infinity. In the second instance, how many people left? One. Infinity. 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 But, but in the first instance, in the first instance, how many people are left? Three. In the second instance, how many people are left? Two. Does it make any sense? No. Because how is that possible? The same amount of people left. They know. Huh? There's probably a way to subtract from infinity. There can't be. There can. If you subtract from infinity, you, you can't, can't subtract from infinity. Let's let the people that are not very loud. He has a, a theory. Let him speak. Uh, I'm just confused. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to know how much, how much area this hotel takes, bro. <laughs> Don't worry about that. Listen. So here's the Here's the point. Hey, guys. Me too. Okay, let him, let him speak. Here was the point of this. Wait, but, 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 but he has something to let him have something. Yeah. Wait, so if you minus three from something, mm-hmm. does that mean that uh, it has an end to it? Because you can't really minus three from infinity. If you minus three from a number, yeah. it has to have an end to it. Yeah, it has yeah. to be a finite number. So you can't really minus three from infinity. Yeah. Oh, I thought you guys... Uh, no. no, you're right, you're right. You can't minus 3 from infinity. You can't minus 3 from infinity. You can't minus 3 from infinity. Infinity is not a finite number. Okay, so why did I give you guys an example? It was to show you that if we're talking about things in the spatial-temporal world, even if somehow we manage to talk about, like, okay, I have, a, I have a hotel that's infinite space, the logic of it doesn't make sense, right? We're ending up with extra people whenever the same amount of people left. Right, we're making room where there wasn't any room. So when it comes to the actual reality, actual infinities don't exist. Actual infinities only exist in theoretical math. It's useful in math. You can use a lot. It's useful in actual like, and use it the math, use those, that kind of math to help you make actual real things in the real world. But it's like imaginary numbers. They're like they're useful, but they're not in reality. Like you can't have that many apples. That makes sense. So, actual infinities only exist abstractly. They don't exist in the real world. Make sense? Mm-hmm. So, if we're talking about... If the thing is, if we're going to talk about an infinite series of causes, it has to be actual. It can't be a potential. You know what I mean? Like, it has to be an actual. Because it's reality. Um, you good? Whenever people talk about... When they make this theory, no, they make this argument about like, oh, it's an infinite number of like, it's an infinite number of like uh, causes. They're confusing actual infinity with potential infinity. Potential infinity is finite. So when they say it's an infinite number of causes, when the way they describe it, it's actually a potential infinity, which we know is actually finite. So what does that leave them? It doesn't matter how many causes you go through. Eventually, you end up with an uncaused cause because you have to stop somewhere because it's a finite thing. As soon as they stop counting, you'll be like, all right. That's it. What happens next? You can't say this is it with a potential infinity without making it finite. Yeah, that's true. So when people say infinite number of causes, that's not possible because you're talking about a potential infinity and not about an actual infinity. Does that make sense? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I know I'm kind of losing you guys a little bit. 
One more time, say that again. So you know how we talked about the difference between actual and potential infinity? And how I define, okay, potential infinity is actually finite. And then you asked why. I'm like, well, because as soon as you stop counting like the numbers between 0 and 1, then you now have given me a number. And if you say, like, you keep going, you, still give me just, you just give me a bigger number. Right? And as soon as you try to stop or say, like, I can just add on another number. I can add to it. I can subtract from it. So whenever people say, okay, um, this universe was caused by a past universe. Like, all right, well, that universe is caused by the past universe, caused by the past in the universe. It, they're talking about a process. Yeah. A process that's supposed to go on infinitely, potentially infinitely. But the thing is, as soon as you stop with that idea, you have to end up somewhere. And that somewhere is the first uncaused cause. There has to be something where that chain stops at. Because you're not able to define it. You're not able to stop somewhere. Because as soon as you stop, it becomes infinite. It becomes finite. It's not like the natural numbers. The natural numbers is a, is a, is a definition. But it's abstractly, we can make it actual. Does that make sense? Like, one, two, three. I'll give you a pattern. And I'm saying that goes to infinity. Which is another abstract number. So you can't add on or define from, from, uh, from uh, natural numbers. Because you can't give me 1.1. That doesn't count. You can't give me zero. That's, a, that's part of the whole numbers. So that's an actual infinity. And they only exist in the abstract. Does that make sense? That's why you can't have an infinite number of series of causes. So that counter-argument to the Kalam cosmological argument fails in that sense because it's confusing an actual infinity with a potential infinity. And potential infinities, which is what they're describing, is, are actually finite. Does that make sense? Okay. Cool. Huh. All right. So, in all likelihood, there's probably a first uncaused cause. That makes sense? Yeah. Let's move on to the second argument. Oh, no, I thought that was two. That was the first one. What time is it? One fifteen. Don't worry, the second two are really short. Um, Wait, so the first one was the universe... The Kalam cosmological cost, argument. The, like, uh, there's always going to be a constant in the fact. Okay, yeah, I just didn't And all of those were counter-arguments. So the, the, the one that you just talked about... The, the Kalam makes... Okay, so the first claim is that every effect must be preceded by a cause. Okay, and if that causes in itself an effect, it must be preceded by another cause, and so on. And then the second claim is... No actual infinities don't exist in the real spatial temporal reality. Therefore, there must be a first uncaused cause. And in all likelihood, that uncaused cause is God. If we're going to bring to theism. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So you just, the thing you just explained is the first counter argument to that. I was talking about, the whole thing about infinities was pretty much the second point. About how actual infinities don't exist in the spatial temporal world. I was telling you why they don't. So I gave you Hilbert's Hotel as an example. Okay? And then before that, I define the difference between potential and actual infinity. Alright. So, second one is called the teleological, no, teleological, teleological argument. It's, com- it's like similar, it's related to the intelligent design argument. You guys probably heard that before. Um, and essentially says that the conditions needed for life are so specific, right? Like there are, like the speed of light. Um, the rate at which the universe is expanding is also extremely specific. Um, things like that. Planck's constant, Higgs boson, you know, all these kind of stuff. Like these math things, these science things. They're very, very specific. And the argument says 
these things are so specific they must have been fine-tuned by someone because otherwise without if one of these things were off by a little bit life wouldn't exist mathematically and like scientifically we know that um, so the argument is because that's the case there must have been someone who fine-tuned these to make this possible it's improbable that all this happened these independent things happen on its own without someone causing that to happen with the knowledge behind them so intelligent design that makes sense so that's the basic argument this stuff goes into like when you get really into like the like trying to logically prove disprove this idea that in order for something uh, something complex to be made um, then it needs to be have a designer for it when you get into this stuff it kind of goes into like evolution natural selection which is kind of hard to discuss without like significant background so we're not going to talk about that and also in my opinion this is one of the muddier arguments for is God real? And it isn't as strong because it's not as simple and intuitive as the Kalam cosmological argument. And also it can be misconstrued and it's easily used like incorrectly. I myself don't fully understand it. And then, um, yeah, so I don't really use this argument too much. And, but if you're interested in this kind of stuff, like intelligent design, that kind of stuff, you can definitely look it up. I would just say, you know, obviously when you're out there looking at this kind of stuff, try to not put too much of your faith in one direction or the other. Because like I said, I'm talking about this later, but these are arguments. Um, nothing more. Third one. This one's talking about more people. The axiological argument. All right? The axiological argument asks the question of, can we be good without God? That's the question. Can we be good meaning moral? Okay? So it argues on the ground of morality. Um... And here's an important point. It's not asking, does belief in God make us good? That's not what it's asking. Okay? Otherwise, we'd be saying that all Christians are good people, and all atheists and non-believers are bad people. And that's not the case. We've seen some pretty terrible Christians, some pretty like, nice people who are atheists, right? So that's not the question. The question is not, does belief in God make us good? The question is asking, does good itself objectively exist without God. Like, can you define what good is objectively without relying on God? Okay? A divine being that is above us and can define supernaturally what the laws are of the natural world. Make sense? So, the argument attempts to prove that you can't do that. You cannot define objective good without God. Why? Why does it say this? Because otherwise, if you take God out of the equation, morality becomes a lot flimsier. Very flimsy. flimsy. If you can't, if I can't, if, you, if I can't say to you, you can't murder people because God says so, then you can look at me and say, why not? Because now it's just my opinion against yours. You see what I'm saying? People have tried to make other arguments saying we evolved and there is like herd morality, one term, herd morality. Which means that, like, over time we have adopted certain morals and customs because that is advantageous to the propagation of our species. Evolution is all about reproduction, right? What works means what ends up being reproduced. So if it's advantageous for us not to kill each other, which makes sense, right? More people, more reproduction. And that's the point of evolution, right? Um, that's how they explain the unguided like complexity that we see in the world. They're saying, okay, it just makes sense that things want to reproduce. So those those are called socio socio biological pressures, socio biological pressures. So they're saying we are moral because 
um, there are socio-biological pressures that influence us to be so, right? Like it's not good to kill people. And as a society, we've intuitively understood that because when people die, our species becomes less viable and we cannot produce as much offspring. Um, the issue with this is, it doesn't mean now that we are sufficiently evolved, right? And we understand this, it's like, oh, why should I listen to my natural inclinations? Why should I? I know this, but we're past that point. If I understand this, I am now in control of myself. Why can't I say, well, really, it's just a preference. It's really just the herd's preference that I don't kill people. It's not my, like, what if that's not my preference? What if I'm a psycho? <laughs> I'm serious. Like, what am I, what am I a psycho? Who, are, who, is this, who is society to tell me that I can't murder people? That I can't steal what I want? I like your shoes. Give them to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why can't that be mine? Who's telling me that's not mine? <clears throat> Nobody. Okay, maybe evolution is telling me that. But who's evolution? It's just a process. Why do I care? You know? So, if you take God out of the equation, it's very hard to define good objectively and say no and to hold people to that standard. Because you can't hold them to a standard they don't believe in. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Okay. So, that's where, if you're going to argue on the grounds of morality, it becomes, okay, we need God if we're going to have objective morals. <coughs> yeah. What if they say the law? The law? The law is also a suggestion. I can, I, I can follow the law, right? Because I don't want the consequences to fall on me. But if I can find a way, but the law isn't stopping me from day to day, from like, you know, like if there's no one around, and if I can get away with it, what's stopping me from doing something bad? It's your morals, right? But why, why do you have morals, is the question. So, this argument is good. It's good. Except the issue is, um, it's not, I don't think it's very effective nowadays. Um, because a lot of atheists these days are willing to concede this. They're willing to concede the fact that, okay, morality is really just like a really big preference that we have. I've talked to lots of atheists about this before, and they're readily admit, yeah, no, it's just evolution. Um, and they'll be like, oh, you press them further, right? Okay, like, what if it's rape, like child rape? You know what I mean? Like, are you saying that's just a preference? And that, like, in, in certain cultures, in certain different situations, that would be considered okay? Some of them are willing to say, yeah, like, if we evolve that way, then if that's advantage, then that's an advantage. They say, if we evolve that way, it's okay. Right? So you can't push people in that direction so much anymore and to get them to admit that God must be real because a lot of them are willing, to, they're comfortable in, in, in admitting that, okay, that might be the case. I mean, it's not the case, but they're saying it, it could have been the case and it wouldn't have been any different. Like, we wouldn't know any better because morality is subjective. That's what they say. So making this argument about um, objectives have to be moral, have to, have to have God in order to be moral. It doesn't work on a lot of atheists nowadays because they're like, so it's just evolution. They're so comfortable with that. <clears throat> there are atheistic moral realists who believe that morality is objective and it exists um, outside of human nature and outside of human preference, um, but also exists in the absence of a God. Um, the problem with this is um, it's kind of a cognitive dissonance kind of thing. Because moral, morals, objective morals assume that, like, okay, everyone is, has a duty to do this. And if you don't, there must be consequences, objectively. And the issue with that is you can't owe anything to an abstract idea. I can't owe it to justice that I do right by people. If justice was just an abstract idea, logically not connected to a person. You can only owe things to people, you know, intelligent beings. So if God, God is justice, we owe it to God. If we're using the theistic uh, point of view, right, that God exists. If God is justice, we owe it to God to be just to people. 
Because if we don't, there are consequences. And he will bring down consequences. Make sense? So the atheistic moral realists, their position is kind of like, it's not popular anymore. Um, but it's cognitively, it's cognitively or logically doesn't make a whole lot of sense, is the idea. <clears throat> so you, because you can only have a duty to follow, you can only have a duty to follow if it's a person. You can be held accountable to a person. You can't be held accountable to an abstract idea. I can't owe it to love to love you. Um, okay. So those are the three common arguments for the existence of God. Cosmological, how about the Kalam specifically? Teotological, teotological, I'm not sure I'm saying that right. The axiological. First one talks about cause and effect. First uncaused cause. Second one talks about the things in this world are so complex and so fine-tuned, there must have been something or something, some intelligent being that fine-tuned them to make life possible. Because the, the improbability of this happening all on its own is extremely high. Mm-hmm. Second one, I mean, the last one is axiological, and it's a moral argument, right? In order for us to claim there's any objective good that we can hold people to that standard, there must be some divine being that has said this is the way it is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're just imposing your preference on people. Out of the three of these, I think the Kalam is the most, it's the most powerful. It's the most simplistic, though. And like I said, none of this, I should qualify at the beginning, none of this proves the existence of the God of the Bible. This is, this is just arguments for the existence of God. Like we're talking omniscient, omnipotent, and all-powerful. Right? Wait. And omnipresent. Um, so, here we get to the point. Why am I telling you this? <laughs> like I said in the beginning, it's good for the basics, right? It's good to have a basic understanding. If you're interested in this kind of stuff, I advise and I encourage you to look into it more, right? YouTube, gotquestions.org, Benny plugged that, I'm plug it again. Great resource. Um, but beyond the basics and being able to explain this to other people, who may have questions and who do not believe, I, I wanted to talk about this uh, in the second point is to reveal a powerful truth about the Christian life. Okay? So these arguments, although they are helpful, um, one thing you will never hear from anyone is a testimony of someone who's converted on the basis of arguments. Okay? You, I've never heard of anyone who has argued into being a Christian. Ever. Um, if anyone here felt like, okay, now I know God is real, you're probably not going to leave this place thinking that. Right? These are arguments. They're not definite facts. They're not, you know, they're just, they're logic hoops that we jump through. They're exercises. They're just using science. It's an exercise of knowledge. Um, so, like, and also, like, like I said before, this doesn't push anyone to be a, specifically a Christian. This may push you to be a theist. This doesn't push you to be a Christian. Theist meaning someone who believes in the divine being. Okay? Atheist, theist. Opposites. So it's not an argument for the God of the Bible either. So, these arguments are interesting, uh, they're somewhat convincing, <coughs> but they're ultimately not life-changing. Okay? They're ultimately not life-changing. Why they don't work to change lives, I don't know. <laughs> okay? I can't tell you the human condition, I can't look into the human heart. I have no idea why they don't work to push people to like 100% believe in God and these kind of things. Um, it's probably different reasons for different people. You know, we all have different lives. Different things motivate us to act certain ways. But the bottom line is this. This is the, this is the truth. 
Experiences and relationships change lives. Not arguments. So, and God knows this. God knows this. Assuming he's real, which he is. <laughs> okay? God knows this. Which is why whenever, this is why he walked. We read in the Bible. This is why he walked with Adam and Eve. He lived life with them. He didn't shout down from heaven, I'm real because of the Kalam. <laughs> God didn't do that, right? <laughs> I'm real because you can't have morals without me. He didn't say this stuff. Um, he walked with them. He lived life with them. This is also why Jesus told his disciples to follow him. He didn't sit down and have a 20-minute intense debate with them <laughs> on why he is the supreme being. He didn't do that. He said, come on, I'll show you. Do life with me. Get to know me. Then you'll believe. That's what he said. He didn't sit down and explain to them the absurdities of actual infinity truly existing, the spatial temporal reality. He didn't do that. That's not what Jesus did when he walked this earth. That's why he told Thomas, right, in John 20, 27, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it on my side. Stop doubting and believe. He was telling him, get to know me. See that I'm really here. Stop doubting and believe. So the best way, and actually the only way, when you read the Bible, to know God and Jesus is to step into that relationship with faith. It's the, and it feels like you have to give something to get something, which is true. That's how it is. You have to trust before you can receive. You'll never really get to know God and know that He's real beyond a shadow of a doubt unless you are able to step in and let Him work in your life. Does that make sense? It is there in that relationship that you find your reasons to believe. It's whenever He makes a way, it's whenever He heals the sick, it's whenever He comforts your loss, whenever you're feeling, when He's able to lift you up. Right? When you find peace and joy beyond all understanding, despite your circumstances, those are the experiences in your life that will lead you to, to believe that God is real, even whenever everything else seems to go against that. It won't be the cosmological Kalam argument. It won't be the axiological argument. It won't be any of these things. Because that's all up here. And that's not what drives you. What drives you is right there. Right? So you will learn God is real when you get real with God. That's what I want you guys to take away. Whenever you actually get real with him, you say, okay, I'm going to trust this. I read this. I don't know yet, but I will trust. That's when you get to know him. That's when you get to understand who he is. And that's when you actually know that God is real. It's whenever you get real with God. So if you trust him with the nitty gritty, practical parts of your life, you can see what he does with it. And you can look back and that can be your testimony. Testimonies are created when testimonies are shared. Okay, Because that's people connected. They'll see what, what you have done and what you've gone through after trusting in God and that'll give them the necessary push to go out and try this out. You won't convince anyone by arguing with them. You might make their mind a little more open, maybe. But apologetics will never, ever oversee or be able to replace just connecting people on a personal level. It's never going to work. Okay, so the best evidence you could ever give is yourself. So when it comes to, is God real? How do you answer that question? Be real with God. You can look at all the evidence you want. I've been through this. I've, I've tried. I've been through it several times. Looking at, all that, looking at all those arguments. Reading the other side. Getting confused. Reading the, <laughs> the arguments. Saying I'm, I'm right and then go back. And I just realized that, okay. At some point, I have to make a choice. 
And if you choose to believe in God and believe Him wholeheartedly, let Him work with something, then He'll show you that He's real. That's how you know. So is God real? Up to you. Up to you. Um, I want to take a few minutes for us to pray.